because that's how we do that on Sunday nights. And yeah, it's a good morning. Pressure isn't always bad, especially when it's for a purpose. Pain isn't always bad if it's a part of birthing something new. How many of you who have had children, listen, I can, I can tell you this, my wife's had four children, and there comes a time in every gestation cycle or process, or we say process, where the pain of childbirth is preferred to the ease of not giving birth. Because it's better for mom and it's better for baby. Not all pressure is bad. In fact, I believe that God uses pressure in our lives to kind of take us from where we are to where we need to go oftentimes. Think about this. Do you remember when you, your feet started growing and your shoes were so fancy and good and everything was ready to go when you went to school on September? And new shoes. And most years that would be okay for a full year, but not the years where you really grew. You started to feel what? Pressure. As your feet outgrew the shoes you were in. So I, I came to tell you today that God uses oftentimes, and, and here's another one, dryness or a dry season. I cannot tell you how many times in my walk with the Lord that I've encountered a season that felt a little bit like a desert or like a drought, that inside of that I was given an opportunity to either join with what my the pressure or to stay put and die. Now, maybe I wouldn't die like spiritually, but, but dreams die. I, I believe that vision dies. Hope can die. In a dry place that God wants to use in us to have us say, Lord, I'm thirsty for more of you. God uses pressure. And God uses dry seasons. They're not always bad. In fact, there are things that are exposed after a dry season when the rain comes. You've heard me talk about this before. There's a place in the desert called Death Valley. And it looks like the bottom of somebody's summer sandal feet. Cracked and dry. Lifeless. And, and, and it's called Death Valley because nothing grows there. But every so often there's rain in Death Valley and something follows that rain. You can look it up online. Wait till after the service though. It's called a super bloom. It's called a super bloom. And what happens is 
after it rains there, the following season after drought reveals that that valley was not dead, it was dormant. And all of these seeds that were in that dry earth spring up and as far as you can see are flowers and green across the whole place. See, what I know to be true is that some of you right now are riding high. You're like, God is good. I'm, I'm hearing his voice. I feel like I can't take any more in. I'm so full. But there's some of you that said, I'm going to give it one more week at church. And I, and I want to tell you that this dry season you're in right now is not proof positive that God has abandoned you. It's proof positive that God is moving you. Some of us respond to these hard seasons with feelings like that God has abandoned us. And we respond with things like, I'm abandoning God now because God abandoned me. I'm not going to worship anymore. It's too hard. In fact, there's a little bit of confusion around this where people say, I, I think I should just be real. I don't feel like it, so I shouldn't do it because that would be fake. I may not want to stop at an intersection on the highway, but I still do it because it's good. But I don't want to be fake. I don't want to. St you better stop. Might be a rough analogy, but it's not that far off of the truth. See, when I worship God, it's not always because I feel like worshiping God. It's because I know it's good. Come on now. Is there anyone in here that's worshiped God just because they knew it was the right thing to do, not because they felt like it? Where they lifted their hands even though they didn't feel like they were even in the room. Where they sung loud songs of praise even though they didn't feel like their words were connected to their heart. But that's how you get through the desert. Some people say, I'm not going to give anymore. God's abandoned me. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm not going to do it. Fill in the blank with whatever you've decided to quit. Because you think God's abandoned you. Then there's the other people. Are there any other people in this room today? Come on. Who recognize that the pressure is a process. So they say things like, I'm going to dig deeper. I'm going to give more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to seek more. I'm going to study more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to reach out to God and reach out to his people. I said, are there any other people in this room today? See, it's time to decide, folks. <coughs> Excuse me. That the destiny inside of you. This is too good to cough through. It's time to decide that the destiny inside of you just needs to be born. And the only way it's going to get out is through a little painful pressure of a birthing season. And once you get a hold of this, you can go through anything to give birth to your new season. It might get a little crazy for a while, but guess what? You've been created for this time. God has destined this day. He's got you on the planet right now for a purpose. And uh, some of the older people, I might date myself here. As Tony the Tiger would say... 
God's plan for you is great. See, God's got a plan to get you through to the other side of this season. We're only going to get through by listening to his instructions step by step. Elijah the prophet, who came on the scene when Israel was basically given up on God, you see, there were only about 7,000 people left in the country who hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. In fact, Elijah was having a pretty tough time, and he would say things like, God, it's just me and you. And then God responds with some better, more accurate information, letting the prophet know that there's still 7,000 like you, Elijah. They haven't bowed their knee to Baal. That, remind, that makes me think about this. Sometimes we tell a story to ourselves that isn't really what God's saying. Have you ever done that? Told yourself a story that is not actually accurate. But it sure feels accurate. It feels right to me. Uh, Pastor Lindsay quotes somebody, and I can't remember who she quoted, but she says, your feelings are important, but they're not the boss of you. And she also says things like, your feelings are a great barometer, but a terrible compass. It's not hers, but I'll quote her. She quoted somebody else, so it's not plagiarism. See, I want to know what God has to say about the situations I'm facing. And I ask this question, am I really seeing the whole picture? And, and one of the things that we have to come to the conclusion of, when we're in these times of pressure and drought, we don't necessarily see everything that's happening. We can't see it all. So it requires this currency of the kingdom. Faith. The only way to get from where you are today to where you are going is by faith. Say it with me. It's the only F word we use in this church. Faith. And forgiveness. So we have two. I could keep going. Freedom. There's another one. Okay. Turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to look at kind of an overview of four chapters or three chapters. No, two chapters. Sorry, I was thinking in stories. There's four or five stories we're going to cover, but 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. We're going to start there. And this message is entitled, Prayers That Bring the Rain. Come on, is there anybody who could say, Lord, send your rain? Let it rain, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven. God's hand in a dry land, number one. Now, Elijah, was, who was from Tishbe of Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. God's hand in a dry land. This series is called Harbinger of Hope, and it's all about confident expectation. By the way, uh, Bible hope 
Kingdom hope is not the same thing as throwing nickels in a wishing well, pennies in a wishing well. This is not wishing. In fact, when we say we have this hope, it is a confident expectation leading to a joyful anticipation that God is about to do something on our behalf and do something good. I have hope in Christ. I'm not wishing. I'm not flipping coins. I have hope. And we have confidence or hope that God uses dry places and he uses dry seasons. So if you're in one right now, you need to know that God can use it. Come on, somebody say hope. Who are you going to worship? What we give power to is what we worship. That's just the way it is. I find myself sometimes struggling in areas of like, for example, fear. If I put my eyes on the wind and the waves, pretty soon I'm worshiping the wind and the waves. What we give our attention to is that is the thing we worship. It's really important that we put our worth and our value on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I find it easier to worship fear than to worship Jesus. Anyone with me on that one? It's like a knee-jerk reaction, and all of a sudden I'm there worshiping fear. I find it easier to worship fear than to worship Jesus because I get drawn into the winds and waves of life. I give power to my fear. And before I know it, there's a worship service going on. It's just fear. It's my words. It's the language. It's my attitude. And my anxiety levels start to rise. See, I I really do believe that fear, that anxiety story, is just misplaced faith. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. The wind and the waves were swamping the boat. And they said, Jesus, save us. We're going to die. And he responds with, where is your faith? Not, you need more faith. Not, go get some faith. Not, grow some faith. Not, mind over matter your faith. He said, where is your faith? So obviously they had faith. But it was misplaced. Faith. When I worship at the altar of fear or situations or finances or relationships or anything on this earth. It diverts my attention away from the one who created heaven and earth. Everything starts to get just a little crazy because I'm giving power to something that was never intended to have that power from me. I just want you and nothing else. Should be the cry of our hearts. See, this prophetic season in Israel's history that Elijah prophesied the drought was intended to root out the reliance and the worship of all other gods that had become in part of their root system. And I want to let you know, what I'm talking about here is not going to be just like you walk out the door and you never have to face it again. It's something that we all face all the time because it's constantly trying to get into our root system. In fact, the enemy's number one beef with the church is that we get to worship God the way he can never do. So where does he attack us? At the place of our worship. He tries to, I think it's like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you remember that scripture? And it says, I remember the literal translation was like, who has, was it Galatians? Yeah, who has bewitched you? With pixie dust. It's kind of the literal. 
Shiny things distract us and take our worship. And it's a constant drive to try to let some things into our root system that should not be there. And so this drought was not meant to be fatal. It was meant to be surgical and to help root out the worship, the false worship that had gotten into the nation of God's people. Is there a chance that the season you're going through right now is shaking things in your life so that true worship can rise again? Or in some of your cases, for the first time. Number two, the power in the pressure. Pressure is a process. Everybody say process. Man, I can't let go of this. I'm just all about process now. I'm like... In my own life, like, what are you doing, Lord? What are you trying to develop in me? What are you growing in me? Where are we going? I will follow you, Jesus. He said, follow me. So I said, okay, I'll follow you. Following, by definition, is a process of going from somewhere to somewhere else. Are there any followers of Jesus in here? Then you're in a process. Pressure is pro- We have confidence, somebody say hope, that God is using pressure and that we can trust his process. And God didn't give Elijah this message and say, you know, I want you to go do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. He just said, go tell Ahab there will be no dew or rain until uh, I give the word. So, so Elijah goes and he tells him, there's going to be no dew or rain. See, there was no list of other things that he had to go through for the next three and a half years. He just gave him one thing at a time. God didn't reveal the whole plan. He just revealed the next plan. And Elijah shows us in this story something that's very beautiful. It winks toward the life of faith that Jesus walked. He said, I only do what the Jesus said. I do what the fa- I hear the Father saying, and I do what he tells me to do. I follow. I, I, this is my, my, my true north. This is what I'm doing. And Elijah did what he heard God say, and he survived. He moved when God said move. He stayed when God said stay. He declares the word of God, then trusts God with all of the finer details. I have to tell you today that if we could get past our needing to know the whole story, we could start to operate in supernatural power and faith and become overcomers. We have to stop demanding that we know all the steps before we step out. He says, go tell this guy that there's going to be no rain. Done. First step, go do it. And and I have to ask you today, is it possible that you are stuck where you are right now asking God, tell me the next thing I'm supposed to do? He's saying, you haven't even done the last one. God didn't give Elijah the message and every other step. All Elijah knew was that he was going to give a message and that he was supposed to tell King Ahab that it was going to get real bad. God says, if you want to survive, you're going to need to get out of here. Go to the brook, Kareth. Go to the brook, and I'm going to give you water at the brook. You can drink the water and survive. And I'm going to send ravens, and they're going to feed you. The next step. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 17.2. We're reading on. Verse 1. Go tell Ahab. 
There will be no dew or rain until I give the word. Verse 2. Then God said. And, and I want us to get to that place where we've checked box one so then God can say to us what to do next. Then the Lord said to Elijah, verse 3, Go east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat, the ra- eat from the ravens. Don't eat the ravens. Eat what the ravens bring you, for I've commanded them to bring you food. They're really smart, by the way. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread, to, bread and meat each morning and each evening, and he drank from the brook. But, the well, but after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. The prophecy is coming true, and now the place that God sent him to survive stage one was leaving. There's so much in this, by the way. The ravens are significant. God knows how to take care of you in the middle of the most wild situations in strange ways. He really does. And I also believe that there's something symbolic. When he talks about the bread or the meat and the water, I believe that we are supposed to be people of the spirit and the word. That you're not going to survive just doing your daily bread without any if, any time with the Holy Spirit. You need to realize that he, the word of God is not just a dead book. It's living and active. <sighs> when you open your Bible, it's breathing. Come on, somebody. He goes to the widow's house, have bread and oil, flour and oil, spirit and the word. I believe that we are a spirit and the word church. I'm declaring it. We are a Bible church. We are a theological church. We are a prophetic church. We believe that the only way forward is with the word of God. We need to be alive to the spirit. And enlivened by the spirit. It's not enough to tell me that when you were at youth camp 15, 20, 30 years ago, you had a touch from God you'll never forget. It's time to have a new touch from God that you'll never forget. preaching prophesy to ahab the whole nation there's going to be no rain and then step two he says you know elijah gets this word to prophesy to ahab but he doesn't get the whole package he doesn't get step two go to the brook because you're going to need to hide step three after so many days go to the widow's house and make it through after step four go to the showdown in the bath go to carmel and, and and beat up on the false prophets and kill them and do fire and all the things, and then prophesy that the rain's coming back, step five, step six, go run to the sea seven times, run up the mountain, send your servant to do it, you're going to be praying, and then he's just go run to Jezreel, tie up your bathrobe and run faster than the chariots. He doesn't say anything, he just says, go give a word! Hmm. I remember walking with a mentor of mine, I told him how I wanted to know, I wanted the Lord to show me more of his plan, I wanted to know more about where my destiny was, and I wanted to know what God was going to do in my life. And he looked at me, and he said, God's not going to do that. Because if God showed you what he had planned for you, you would quit now because it was too hard. And he was absolutely right. See, if I would know what I've had to go through to get into this place in my life, and to stand in this responsibility at this time in my life, I would have run and gone the other way. But the Lord has a beautiful way of taking us to the brook and taking us to the widow's house and taking us to the showdown. 
He has a way of moving us from here to there. He has a beautiful way of knowing just how much pressure he needs to allow so that we can become the prize that he died for. Hmm. Have you ever prayed these dangerous prayers? Make me more like you, Jesus. Here's one. Use me however you want to use me. If that's, as I hit these, if that's you, just give me a hand and hold it up until we get everybody, okay? Give me a heart like yours. Anybody going to join in here? Have you prayed these dangerous prayers? Hold them up. Hold them up. Keep them up. Help me to fully rely on you. We should see a whole bunch right now. I know I've prayed this one over and over again. Set me free from anything that's holding me back. Come on, some more hands. Here we go. Listen to me right now. The pressure you feel, you can put your hands down. The pressure you feel right now at this time of trial or testing or pressure is not an attack on your destiny. It's the beginning of the answer to some dangerous prayers. See, our spiritual senses are sharpened when we're forced to go without some things. When you're forced to go without worship on Thursday night at camp meeting. It's just nothing like worship on Thursday night at camp. Now you got to go back to your church. They don't get it. Half of them didn't go to camp. They think they don't need. And you're like, I'm just so full of the presence of God. And the worship was so good. It was just like we were floating in the air. We were just so anointed. And then you come down. And you go without. Or when you have to listen to week after week of dry teaching because you're on a process studying theology like Caleb. It's not dry, by the way, our theology. That was a dumb analogy. I take that back. But you go through times where it seems hard or it seems like something's gone. How many of you are fasting from something? See, we, we actually remove some things to sharpen our senses. So that we can become spiritually sharp. By the way, you're not going without food to make God like you, to make God answer you, to make God do something for you. You're going without food because your ears have got plugged and you need to hear him better. That's why we fast. I don't need to twist his rubber arm. I don't need to wake him up. He's not sleeping. The fasting we're doing is for us so that we can hear more clearly. And we are hearing more clearly. Number three, prayers that bring the rain. See, expectation positions us after we realize that he's got his hand in the dry land. There's power in process and there's power in the pressure. When we finally get going with God, obeying him, God starts to bless our obedience. You know what? I wonder what would happen in the body of Christ if instead of everybody running for an opinion on an issue in their life. Now I'm going to go here. Okay. I wonder what would happen if rather than just running to every counselor and psychologist and thought maker and Instagram influencer, rather than running to everywhere to find somebody who would agree with us and tell us what we want to hear about our problem. I call that living on the cold side of the cross. We can live on the hot side, you know. But it's a deny yourself side. You can't get there without denying yourself. I wonder what would happen if 
instead of us running everywhere else, we would run to the word of God. See, if you come to me and Pastor Lindsay and we sit down with you and say, here's the big problem in our lives. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to you and then I'm going to say, I'm going to find an appropriate scripture for your problem. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to send you out to do that. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit blesses your obedience and sets you free. Not obedience to me. Obedience to the scripture. I wonder what would happen if we could just go find the word of God that's appropriate for our struggle. And then obey the word of God. And trust that the Holy Spirit will honor our obedience. By the way, this works at a level of government. This works at the level of business. This works at marriage. This works at all of it. You want to fix Canada? We have one advice. Here's what the word of God says. Go do it. We're going to believe that God will bless your, will, will bless your obedience. Hmm. You want to be set free from whatever issue in your life? Here's the word of God. Do it and see what God does. Man, I can't even go to the next point until you say amen. Here we go. There's a word that was given by God for us so that we could learn to be strong. And any kind of adaptation of the truth of the word of God is a lie. Don't twist it. Don't pull it. Don't bop it. Don't pass it. Some of you are like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. <laughs> you come to me with a problem, and I'm going to tell you what the word of God says about that problem. I'm going to pray God will bless your obedience to his word. Whew, and you will be delivered. You will be set free. Now, I understand there is a such thing as mental illness. I get it. I understand physiology. I understand the whole concept of neuroscience. I understand this. I get it. I don't understand it at a level of a doctor, but I understand it in a very, very uh, pedantic kind of spot. I, I, I'm there. I'm really low in it, but I'm high enough in it to know that God created your brain, and so he can also help it with his word. I feel like I'm stuck here. Lord, right now, set some stuff free in this room. Here we go. Expectation positions us to see small and important clouds. If we're going to break through, somebody say breakthrough. We have to be living in hope and expectation continually that God said it so we can trust. The ability to identify small wins. Let's talk about this for a minute. We used to have the kids come home from youth group when it was small and struggling, and they'd say, oh, this bad thing happened, and this bad thing happened, and this bad thing happened. I said, tell me something good. So we had them as a team start to identify what a win would look like. So they had some goals. So they said, well, a win this week would be that when we sing our first song in praise and worship time, the whole room wouldn't empty out and go in the parking lot. A win would look like people raised their hands and some people started actually worshiping God and they started actually showing from their hearts. they were. A win would be that we had five more visitors this week. A win would be like this. A win would be like that. So they'd have four or five wins. And at the end of the night, they would have a debrief meeting and say, guess what happened? Everybody stayed. Remember this, Lily? Do you remember when we did this? We had to just start keying in on little things. 
And what happened was we were at home, and Pastor Lindsay and I would be at home, and the kids would come home and say, how was it? People worshiped all the way through the first song. We had five new visitors. We had this. When you learn to identify the winds, it's actually moving in an expectation that God is up to something good. You can't see with the eyes of hope if you are only looking for the losses. You have to understand something. The news sucks. It literally sells commercials by getting you to be addicted to information that you can do nothing about that is terrifying and out of your control. So it says you need to be informed, but you can't do anything about it. What we have to understand is there is a word from God that was given from Genesis to Revelation that is all good news for the believer and for the world. Shouting like I'm preaching in 1965. (laughs) The ability to identify small winds and clouds comes through learning to sharpen your senses and trust in God one step at a time. Verse 18, 41 says this, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there's the sound of an abundance of heavy rain. So Ahab went up to eat, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. Elijah just been at Carmel and there was a bloodbath. Literally killed all these people, these false prophets. God has no patience for diverted worship in his people. Come on. So he's on Carmel. And now he's back on Carmel. Because he prophesies rain, but there's a problem. There's no clouds. We know that rain comes from clouds. There was no clouds. But we all have our Mount Carmel, don't we? And you have a Mount Carmel. I, I have a Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is that place where you are forced to trust God. And not what you can see with your eyes. Carmel is that place where you're outnumbered by the false prophets. And God says, just to make it interesting, have them dump water all over your fireplace. Just to make it interesting, make it impossible. Carmel. Carmel's the place where God says, prophesy that there's going to be rain. And you look up in the sky and there's no clouds. Carmel's that place where you are forced To trust God. And not trust your eyes. Because it makes no sense. Jesus had caramel. Where's this blood coming from? If it be your will, Father, let this cup pass from me. We all have our caramel. Sitting in a doctor's office when they said, we're obligated to offer you an abortion when we were expecting Zane. Tears in our doctor's eyes saying, I'm obligated to offer you an abortion. Because Zane was going to be born with his intestines on the outside of his body. How many are thankful we didn't abort our guitar player? (laughs) We all have our 
normal. When they say you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30, here's a support group for your wife to go to. We all have our caramel. When the phone rings on a construction site and your brother drops his head and they say it's cancer. And we want to start right away. And he says, you've got to give me seven days to run a kid's camp because I am not going to miss that. We all have our Mount Carmel where we have to trust God. And if you've never had it, you haven't walked past step one. Giving your life to Jesus and getting baptized saying, I'm a Christian now, it's great. But welcome to the party of the desert. See, there's a burning man thing in the desert. And I don't know much about it, but they burn stuff. And they whoop it up in the desert. Sometimes I feel like I'm a burning man in the desert. Burning with a passion for God and a fire that says, even though it sucks and it's hard and it's demoralizing and you feel like you can't ever see the next step, God says, trust me, here's my power. Trust me, here's the water. Trust me, here's the bread. Trust me, here's the flour. Trust me, here's the oil. Trust me, here comes the fire. And he trusts him. He prophesies that it's coming. Here's what you need to know. There's a few things you need to know about praying for rain. Number one, um, he prophesies. He says what he's supposed to do. And then he goes back up Carmel, that place of testing. And he puts his head between his knees. This is key. When you are in a situation where you're being forced to trust God and not what you see with your eyes, you need to pray like Elijah prayed and bury your head in the secret place. Get your eyes off of what you can see. And he stayed locked in. And his servant there, he goes, go up now and see if there's any rain coming. And he comes back. There's nothing. There's no clouds. Go again. There's nothing. Go back. Come on, boss. Three times. My legs are getting sore. Go again. Four times. Five times six times but on the seventh time the Hebrew people loved the number seven it was considered a number of completion it was it was considered fantastic in their in their oath making it it was so special to them because you couldn't divide it by your fingers it, it was a special number and it symbolizes perfection I got to tell you right now God is never early but he's always on time he's never late And God has the perfect amount of time and the perfect steps for you to get where he's called you in this next season. But you've got to be willing to return to that place over and over. And on the seventh time, he said, uh, boss, I know it's not much, but there's a cloud about the size of a man's hand. We need to be ready to return in hope and expectation walking up the hill of life. To take a look out on the horizon and see and be willing to come back more than once. Some of you have been praying for wandering children for a long time and you feel like, is there ever going to be a chance? And you just keep hearing bad news after bad news. I want to let you know God is up something. He's up. He doesn't ignore your prayers. 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 You just keep your head down and you just keep praying. 
If we're going to break through to have a living hope of expectation, we need to identify the small winds, the small clouds. We need to start changing our attitude about life. But I need to tell you this, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Something is happening where you can't see it. God is at work. A cloud, even before the servant could see the small, tiny, teeny, weeny cloud, the servant couldn't see it, but God was up to something. A cloud was developing, but it was still out of sight. The whole time he was looking, God was up to something as the water vapor was becoming clouds. And slowly this natural occurrence that God was supernaturally bringing to place was creating this cloud the size of a man's hand. So how does this apply to our situation how I know you're going through it I know you've got diagnosis from the doctor I know you've got financial issues your bank account hates you I know it I know you're tired of regulations you want to get a permit you want to get going on some stuff you're waiting on somebody to fix your problem I know you're struggling your marriage sucks your kids disobey your teachers mean List it off. I know there's stuff going on, but we've got to get our eyes off of the things that are going wrong and realize that even though we can't see it, God is developing a cloud the size of a man's head. He's bringing things together where you cannot see. Your job is to keep your head down and pray. We must remember that just because you don't see the cloud doesn't mean God's not already behind the scenes working an answer out for you. He's working out the breakthrough you need from that bondage. He's working out the supply you need for that situation. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not forming where you can't see. On on the seventh time, the servant goes up and says, there's a cloud. Elijah knew that God was going to send rain. So he put himself in a situation where he got down, prayed, put his head between his knees and Elijah didn't move. He just positioned himself right where God was about to do something great. Where God was about to reveal something. Where God was about to show himself strong, he bowed down, took his eyes off of the situation in the natural and put his eyes into the supernatural. See, the reason we hide in the presence of the Lord, the reason we go into seasons of prayer and fasting, the reason we sharpen our focus on him and take our eyes off the world around us, the reason we go into the secret place is so important. We go to those places without distraction because we're working on taking our eyes off the natural and putting our eyes onto Jesus. That's what we're doing. We don't want to be distracted by anything that would pull down our faith. We don't want our faith in the wind and the waves. We don't want anxiety that comes from misplaced faith. We want to have faith in what God can do. Come on. Allowing the Lord to lead us in a dry season ensures that when the breakthrough we've hoped for finally arrives, we will be in the right place to receive it. He had to move from prophesying to Ahab, to the brook, to the widow, to the showdown on Carmel, to the 21 nights of prayer at Oasis City. We're going to be praying tonight in here tonight. So it's time to declare. Would you declare this with me today? I'm not giving power and worshiping fear anymore. So some of these things are going to apply to you and some for others, but let's say them together. I'm not going to give power or worship fear anymore. I'm not going to worship money anymore. I'm not worshiping the perfect, the picture perfect family anymore. I'm not worshiping anger or jealousy anymore. Jealousy and anger, we tear you down. Selfishness, you must fall. Worry, 
doubt, uncertainty, lust, your time has come. Just say your time has come. And you're fired. I'll go on my own here now. Drug addiction, alcohol, shame. You have had power over me and you've crept into my world and stolen my attention. And now I take my eyes off of you and I put them on Jesus. If this drought has taught me anything, if I've learned anything in a dry season, and I've been through some terribly dry seasons, is that everything we've listed in this declaration is powerless to save. And I declare that as for me and my house, we will worship in spirit and in truth, and we will declare that Jesus is the only one with the power to save. Isaiah 44 verse 3 it's just beautiful because Isaiah is going through the whole thing of this wayward group of people and the love and redemption of God. It's just like a swing. Last week we did water in the wasteland. This week I want to read from chapter 44. It says, for I will pour water. Would you just close your eyes, put your hand on your heart? For I will pour water, the Lord says, on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up like grass, like willows by the water, by the rivers and by the water courses. The drought that you thought was here to take you out is actually taking you up to the place where you can actually see God's hand in a dry land. May the Lord bless you and keep you make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Give you water from the brook, oil from the jar, and power to overcome the works of the enemy. In the name of Jesus. If you're here today and you say, I would love to join this army. We are all lovers of Jesus who have died to ourselves and are in various stages of dying to ourselves. We realize we cannot save ourselves. Only Jesus can do that. So if you're ready to turn away from trying to fix yourself and allow Jesus to be king of your life and to receive the free gift of salvation and allow the renovation to start, pray this with me. Jesus, be king of my life. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you that you, you understand what I'm going through. That you died on the cross in my place so that I could be forgiven thank you for rising again come into my life and raise me from the dead amen may the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and give you peace amen